the kid, a junior that is, will be down in a minute unless you'd like to take her drink up to her. I can get a fresh one. Karen, you're a Gibson girl. Thank you, Karen. The general atmosphere is very Macbethish. What has or is about to happen? What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over or is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 50 Minute Film Fanatics. This is the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them for the first time. We have been glutting on Herman and Joe Mankiewicz all season, but we knew we had to come back to what movie, Mike? All About Eve. So today we're going to do All About Eve, the 1951 masterpiece, uh, Joe Mankiewicz's masterpiece, written and directed by him. It's a movie we've all seen a bunch of times. It's a movie I just recently resaw in honor of our Mankiewicz season. Mike had seen it a bunch of times, but I said to Mike, you have to rewatch it. So in our opening segment, we always talk about our overall things. And Mike, how glad are you that you rewatched this for the pod? So glad. You, you don't, I don't just watch this movie, just hold on. This, it's, there's all kinds of emotions. This movie never lets you get settled. There's always one more turn, like even at the end, you know what I mean? There's, yep, there's, we'll forget. talk about the ending, but there's, there's always one more turn. And just the whole character around Eve uh, is, is, this this woman's like a black hole and uh betty davis is such a wonderful star but somehow i always feel like she's like she's an unlikely star and i i don't mean that as an as an insult i, yeah. I just there's something about her face there's something about her demeanor which acts better than she could possibly act it's what unbelievable. a star what yeah a star Absolutely. Right. I love how you said she's a black hole. Of course, you could put that award where your heart ought to be. Um, I love everything about this movie. And again, like I I was with somebody who had never seen it. I'm like, okay, I'll turn it on again. And within five minutes, you're like, why? How come I don't watch this every Friday? It's the most it's the most literate movie ever made. Right. I mean, it makes like the reports of being earnest look like the great things of a caveman. This movie as you watch it, you hear pages rustling. There's, I, I don't know how else to describe, but there's a, there's a texture to this movie, which feels like reading. Obviously it's, it's based yeah. on a short story, but I don't know whether it's necessarily the voiceover or the active narration. I don't actually know what it is about it, but it's dense in that same way. And I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, you know, cause I, I said before, it's such a literate movie. Right. And it's funny. You said you hear pages turning, right? The thing that struck me about seeing it again for my overall take on it is that, you know, you, everyone knows the most famous line. Like what's the most famous line in the movie? Uh, oh, hold on. It's, uh, fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Right. Everyone knows that. Right. And it's a great iconic line. Maybe we'll talk about that in part two, if that's your moment, but it struck me this time that what's great about it is it's, it's a, it's like a musical where all the music is just ironic statements, one after the other. That's why it reminded me of Oscar Wilde, right? Like that line about, uh, you'd always put the award where your heart ought to be. And like what um, Addison DeWitt, who we should have a whole podcast about, just about George Sanders, right? When he says, uh, I could see your career rise in the east like the sun. You know, but even like Birdie the Maid is like, that bed looks like a dead animal act. Like everybody, you can't keep up with the lines. It's like when we did Out of the Past. Remember we did out of the past and we talked about how they one up each other and they're like cool noir, noir lines. It's like, um, it's so perfect because even when they're sincere, right. I love that. Like when Bill says to her, um, we have to go to city hall for the marriage license and blood test. She's like, I'd marry you. If you're turned out, you had no blood at all. Like they're, they're even when they're trying to express emotion, 
they're ironic, which is why I think the one the one really strange moment of the movie is when remember they're having dinner and Bill says, um, or uh, Lloyd says, uh, uh, this is a great moment. Um, let's always remember it. There are a few moments in life as good as this to each of us. Never have we been more close. May we never be further apart. And you keep waiting for someone undermine it and no one does. And it's such a strange moment. Yeah. For me, I always think of that moment where the, the two women are in the car and of course, oh, yeah. right. She, she's opening her heart and she's, she's giving the definition of, a, it's like the definition of a woman's speech. Uh, and the only thing that undercuts it is her friend is of course, sitting right next to her, just squirming Binging. and trying to crawl up into a ball so that's the that's like i would say the second closest moment yeah but of course it is undercut by the fact that she's uh, drained the gasoline tank <laughs> and let's we just have to talk about george sanders and his voice and his demeanor and, and everything about him so i recently read his memoir his autobiography which is called um uh, the autobiography of a cad and it is so funny because it reads just like him standing in a tuxedo with a cigarette holder you don't really learn anything about him but just like my 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 quasi wacky adventures of growing up around the world but it's so good i urge on all of our listeners you can find it at a library or, or on amazon is it an audiobook narrated by him no it, sadly it's not sadly it's not but he is he is so great because i love you know it's great when he says to eve it's perfect that he he's he gets eve right like they're made for each other like clearly they're not hot and heavy for each other for for for, for, for reasons that the movie makes clear but i love how he says um we deserve each other and that world they enter because he's the one that navigates through it, right? He's the one that really understands how these people operate, but he doesn't even have to get caught in the love affairs and things because he doesn't really have a heart. Well, because so part of the irony, it seems, is that they live in a world where if you expose yourself, everybody's supposed to have an angle. And if you expose yourself and your emotions, you lose your angle or, or you, right? You might as well quit right. the game, right? You're out of the game. And Eve's angle is that she's not showing her cards to anybody, but she has, she really doesn't have a self that she's hiding or protecting. So, you know, what, what you see and what you start to perceive is really what you get. And I feel the same way about Addison. Like if you had to put, if you had to group them together, really, what is it? Is that they're people who are better and sharper at having an angle because they have no self to protect. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and Addison knows that everybody is on stage all the time. It's like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead when they say like, we're never off stage and you, you can't get off stage. And that play shows you what goes on backstage, what presumably happens on, but it's, it's great that, that that's what he's able to see through and, and be at peace with it. And the other ones all try to do like, you know, I, I can't play Cora. She's too young. I'm too old. Or I want to do my play footsteps on the ceiling, but I have to make concessions if I'm an artist and things like that. They're all trying to like navigate, keep their, keep true to them, their inner selves in quotes, whatever that is in this world of, of falseness and theatricality. But he, he really doesn't care. Like he is his tweets. He is, he is his Twitter feed. And there's that, there's that great moment um, where her, the lady that lives across the hall calls in the middle of yeah. the night and says, yeah. and says, you have to come up. And so, you know, overhearing the phone call that, that obviously it's some ploy of Eve's, but the best is when you get the payoff, like in two gallants that she, yeah. you know, that she hangs up the phone and they're in it together and they go up the stairs. Arm, arm, and arm. And arm. Yeah, that's great. So let's, let's go right to part two and talk about our favorite moments of which there must be many. Okay, welcome back. So in part two, we like to talk about our favorite moments or key scenes. Dan, why don't you 
Go first. I want to go first because I want to talk about Eve's first appearance when she has that raincoat on. I just think that's a great bit. Now we find out later on that that you know that's a costume just like her name, right? Her name is really Gladys Skrzynski. And you know, the whole thing is a front to appear like this naive young girl, which is what Bill and, and everyone thinks she is at first. And I think that that's great, not just because it's a fun plot device that keeps everything rolling, but it's great because it's an exaggeration of what we do all the time. So if you read Competing with Idiots, as we have the great dual biography by Nick Davis of Herman and Joe Mankiewicz, there's a great bit where Herman Mankiewicz says to one of his kids, um, what have you got to say to a movie actor and what has he got to say to you? And I think that's so funny because imagine if you or I could have a, an interview right now, like somehow we go in a time machine, right? And you could have a, you can interview Alfred Hitchcock or Stanley Kubrick or Billy Wilder or Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart, right? Well, what would, what, what, what would you say to Jimmy Stewart? got nothing yeah right like like oh uh the yeah. man who well, shot liberty valance that was really good <laughs> i i really like ruindo you were really good in that and what, what could he possibly say and of course nobody does that better than than chris farley right that's all chris farley's interviews with paul mccartney right exactly right so the point is we would be tongue-tied a we'd be tongue-tied but also what could you possibly say to this person so it's it's great that she is an exaggeration of first of all what we want to do is meet meet famous people but she's also an exaggeration of how in regular life when we're not surrounded by theatrical folks that we're constantly putting on costumes and making up versions of ourselves right like we have our own gladys krasinski but we also want to be like eve right we're we're constantly play acting and i think that just as hamlet takes this idea of all you know all the roles of stage although that's in a different play right hamlet's uh, great ideas about theatricality hamlet's very theatrical you get a play in the middle of the play uh, you know claudius is obviously pretending he's not a murderer etc um we, we all do it all the time and i think that all about eve heightens our sense of theatricality when we see other people and we realize that eve is of course she's terrible and conniving but she's she's doing there what people do at job interviews she's doing there what what people do in social situations in, in a terrible terrible way but i think that what's interesting about the movie is that it shows you that you cannot opt out of theatricality the only one that can opt out is addison because he's kind of like he, he's the one that sees through it and doesn't doesn't pretend that um, he's bothered by his own facade. Eve has to hide hers. Um, Betty Davis is nervous about, you know, her facade not keeping up and playing young parts. But but Addison doesn't care about that. But again, I think the only way it, it's perfect that he's a critic rather than right. right you could imagine yeah. what if I remade this movie and he was like a, a rival uh, playwright. Or something, right? Or director. Something so that he's equally literate and has opinions or something. But he's got to be a critic because a critic is out of the game. Yeah. So so Addison has given up on the possibility of joy, which is why he can call everybody on their on their crap. And that's essentially, that's the essence of the movie. Yeah. He doesn't care about it. He doesn't care if people are angry at him. He doesn't care about how he comes across to other people because he knows that, first of all, he knows they need him. He, they need good reviews. When he when he writes that review of Eve and Betty Davis blows her top, you could see how, how much they're dependent upon his his largesse, his good word, right? But again, like you're, he doesn't have to worry about how he appears to other people because that, that's who he is. So my moment is actually where Addison makes it clear who he is, right? We, we, all, know, we all know he's a snake and that he's just as manipulative as Eve. But there comes a point in their partnership towards the end of the movie where Eve makes it clear that she's going to try to break away. And she tries to make it clear that she's going to use him just like she's right. used everybody else. And Addison tells her no. And he says, is it clear to you that I own you and how completely I own you? And she says, yes, Addison. And it's because 
he's in control of all the actual facts. He knows her real name. He knows what she's tried to do. He knows where she's come from. And it's clear that he's known it the whole time since he, right. It's, yeah. it's you, you, you see him stand outside the stage door when she tries to seduce Bill the first time. Yep. And you think, why am I being shown this? Why am I being told this? And it's because he's just holding on to the fact, right. And actually challenges her about it. And he says, I, and she says, no, 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 that's not true. And he says, I heard you. I was outside. And then she drops it and she takes a different tack entirely. Cause what's, you know, what's the point of fighting? And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful and ugly moment where the, the two of them belong together, but it's almost the only moment of real sympathy you, you can ever feel for Eve because she's designed this trap and now she's so clearly caught in it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that Addison comes out as, as sublimely pitiless because he has no, he has no possibility of joy or success, which is what gives him control. But again, you can't take any enjoyment or success fr from that level of control. But I mean, how George Sanders is just so, so good. It's, it's his version of, you know, when, in your moment, when Eve goes in, she gives the whole monologue about yeah. losing her husband, uh -huh. which, which he calls an insult to patriotism everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> which is true right and, right and it's and it's so funny because he makes appeals to things that he can't possibly value but he does it he does it essentially just to crush her down into a ball right and and it's 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 an ugly moment but it's it's revelatory of the of the consequences of eve building this facade right so you can you can keep building and building and building and building but eventually what it is is it's a prison and he's got her trapped inside what she's what she's actually ultimately constructed yeah, without him in the movie, it's a different, it's a whole different, then, then, it, then it's totally different. Right, and, and of course, so you, you find out the gimmick that you can use different voiceovers and different narrations based on different characters. But if you only saw the first six minutes of All About Eve and then your popcorn was done and you never returned to the movie for whatever reason, you would assume that it's right. all Addison's narration through the rest of the movie. So there's a very clear choice in having him introduce everybody. Right. Because he... He is already from the outset a watcher and not necessarily a participant until that scene where he becomes a participant. Yeah. Um, and, and it's ugly and malevolent when he does. Yeah. And beautifully written, too. All right. Let's let's go to part three. OK, welcome back. So in part three, of course, we like to talk about the title, the ending, the key takeaways. Dan, I know you have a thing on the title. I got many things on the title. So the title, of course, is brilliant. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the original title of this film was people out there may, may or may not know this. It was Best Performance. And Daryl Zanuck, you know, Zanuck, 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 Daryl Zanuck um, circled it in the script and, and wrote down title. And that's he gave Joe Mankiewicz the idea for that for the title, which, of course, is better. And of course, when this was made into a, a musical, um, where Lauren McCall played the Margot uh, character, it was called Applause. So I think that that's a great title for this as well, right? That's that's why they can't turn off their irony because they all want applause from each other and from the crowd. But um, the thing about All About Eve is a great title, I think, is that it sounds like L.A. Confidential or like Rona Barrett's Hollywood, if you're old enough to remember what that was like. My mother used to, used to read that all the time. So I think the appeal of like cheap biographies, even I guess... I guess even the appeal of like a highbrow biographies is that we're fascinated by these people and we want to learn all about them, right? That's the life of Samuel Johnson, right? I'm going to put you in the mind of Johnson, all about Johnson, it could be called. But of course, you, you don't get all about Eve. You can't get all about Johnson. You can get a glimpse of somebody. You can get a partial view of somebody. But to say you're going to get all about Eve, it, it, that's, a, that's a promise that no writer can, can really keep. 
because of course there are all the religions of the world rolled in, you know, gods and goddesses rolled into one. But I think that the allure of wanting to get close to the famous people is why we read biographies. It's why we read, you know, um, the dual portrait of, of Herman and Joe Mankiewicz and that it's the promise of, of completeness. Um, and I think that there's something very interesting about the movie that it both mocks that impulse and rewards it at the same time, because you can't stop watching this to learn more about what's going on. Just as we say things like, well, that's part of, that's none of my business, but yet people still go and, and they go to the same websites and they, and they still look at the same gossip. So they seem mutually exclusive though. So of course, and at the part of the ending, right. As Margot says, no, I've, I've married the love of my life. And she goes, I'll tour you know, with this, I may do something else in the fu- right. in the future, but I'm done being the starlet of the Broadway stage, right? She she may take on roles in the future. That doesn't mean she's necessarily never going to act again, but that means she can't keep doing what she's doing in order to be complete. It's the opposite of the way the red shoes ends. That's right. That right. it's it's the it's the inverse picture exactly, right? And so Eve embraces that role, but of course we know we know how she ends, and we can talk about that in a minute, but I think that this movie really doubles down on the mutual exclusivity of that, right? Yeah. In order to be, you can't do the thing that gets everybody's attention and be a complete human at the same time. You so can't. if you're a complete human, nobody knows who you, you live in anonymity. If you give up the anonymity, you give up completeness and you have to negotiate that for some kind of period or, or make it work or not. So what do you make of the ending or the title? If you want to talk about Phoebe in, in looking in the mirrors or well, when when I was watching it with my wife, I said it's um, like single white female on Broadway, and so of course the the joy the joy of this movie, the ending of this movie, is that um, Eve gets single white femaled right by somebody who snuck into her apartment, starts cleaning up the drink that she spilled, uh, and so it's it's a wonderful, great, ironic ending. But I will say this: I would I would say that it would be a cheap ending, except for the last shot, right? It's kind of like a, it's an eye roll ending where it kind of ends like a Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. But the visual style saves it for me, where, where the girl picks it up and she gets reflected in two mirrors. So it's just it's just her, right? What if it, it, the, the opposite to your biography or like the, the, the apotheosis of the thing that we're just talking about between mutual exclusion is what if you looked in the mirror and all you could see is you and you and you, and, right? It would, it would clearly be an optical illusion, but it would blind you from seeing anything else. And therefore right. you, could, you could never be complete. And Jimi Hendrix has that great song. I used to live in a room full of mirrors. All I could see was me. And right, and so that's that's what I think the visual style of this of this movie. We've talked about its literary qualities, but the visual style saves it right yeah. at the very end. And that's of course like some of these people want to live in a room full of mirrors. For a long time, Margot wants to live in a room full of mirrors. She doesn't mind it, right? A lot of people, you know, like like we're not, we're not crazy about getting our picture taken, not because we're vampires or something, but because you're kind of like you always look awkward or Don't something. Photograph like, well. Yeah, I don't photograph well. I'm much better looking when I'm not being photographed, right? But some people do like it. Like, but it's, it's like it takes a certain kind of person to love being photographed, right? Or, or then, to construct an identity, say, out of Instagram. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, right. And that's which is exactly what what Gladys Skrzynski does. I mean, this movie is about it's all about Instagram, right? I mean, think about it. Eve is the perfect Instagram user. That would be a great new title for the remake all about Instagram. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm as well as Letterboxd. Keep the requests coming. We hope you've enjoyed our Megawit season. More to come. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. 